Stu Does America. BlazeTV.com slash midterms. Use the code midterms for 30 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now. I ask you to do it every day. Why not today? We're going to talk a little bit about the big cryptocurrency collapse at FTX. And you got to know who the guy is behind this. It's a crazy story. We'll also talk to crypto icon Marty Bent about, uh, about energy and crypto as well. Uh, we start, though, by doing Election Week 2022. The results are trickling in. Yes, because we're in election week. It's not election day. It's even longer than election week now because you have all the pre-voting periods. And now we just take it's just going to take us a week or two, maybe three weeks just to count all these votes. The votes are trickling in. Some races are being decided. Uh, Tina Kotek uh, is going to win in Oregon as governor. She uh, she was favored in the race, although um, I will say it looked very, very close. In fact, uh, many uh, on the right were hopeful to pick up the, the, gov- uh, the gubernatorial race in Oregon, which didn't even seem possible not that long ago. Was pretty close, but uh, the uh, the Democrat will win that race. Uh, on the Senate, you still got the same situation that we've had for the past, uh, I don't know, day or two, where there's three races left and Republicans need to win two of them to control the Senate. Like, you know, Arizona with Blake Masters. You've got uh, uh, Adam Laxalt over in Nevada and you've got Herschel Walker. We know that one's going to a runoff. That's December 6th. And we're watching this vote come in. A big chunk of the vote yesterday in Arizona came out, and uh, that one it sort of favored the Democrats there. Uh, took a uh, was not great news for Carrie Lake or Blake Masters. However, it appears that they did not release the day of voting uh, 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 tally. Uh, so basically, these were older these were older votes. These are early votes that Democrats typically do well. We expect the later vote uh, that is coming out that the stuff that was the stuff that like dropped off in drop boxes on the day of the election or dropped off in person on the day of the election. The late earlies is what they call them. (laughs) They're early votes technically, but they came in late. It's a total uh, crap show over there in in Arizona and everybody over there is annoyed about it. If Carrie Lake can win, I think there's a really good chance that this finally gets uh, uh, reformed a little bit and we don't have to do this little exercise we seem to do every single election with Arizona lately. Uh, Nevada is also having the same sorts of issues. California, of course, is famously terrible at counting votes. A lot of that's coming in uh, now. The statewide races there, not really too much of a battle, but there's a lot of really important congressional races there. We're going to go through the House here in just a second. In uh, Nevada, the Laxalt lead over Cortez Masto has uh, begun to shrink a little bit after the latest vote count update. This one is, I I think, going to be an uphill battle. In fact, probably both Arizona and Nevada are going to be uphill battles for conservatives. I mean, I I am at the point now where I do think the Republicans are going to lose the Senate. Uh, It's going to be it could be 50 seats, could be 49 seats. Still could be 51 or 52 as well. It's not out of the question, but these are all sort of rough roads. Um, Carrie Lake still has a pretty good chance of winning, though it's, you know, every day that passes by, you get more and more nervous of these things. But I still think she has a good chance of winning. The, the wagering markets we've talked about a bunch, predicting the outcomes of these. Everyone's got their money involved. They're looking at this data, too. They're saying, I'm going to put my money here. Yesterday, when this vote came out in Arizona, Carrie Lake dropped by about 20 points from about a 65 percent favorite to about a 45 percent 
uh, underdog. Uh, so we will see if they, those people are right. They, they're not always right, but they do kind of give you a sense of where things stand. Now, let me give you where things stand in the House, because we've got lots of stuff to talk about today. We're going to give you the updates that you need to know, and then we're going to get on to one of the, one of the biggest scandals we're going to have in a very long time in the world of crypto. Uh, but we have a, a situation here where there's 435 seats in the House. 405 of them are decided already. Okay, That leaves 30 left. Of the 405 that are decided, they're bro- broken down like this. 211 Republicans, 194 Democrats. So a decent lead for Republicans. Can they win the, the House? You think with those numbers, it would be pretty easy. But I was diving into all these separate races and the races don't look all that wonderful, to be frankly, uh, to be frank with you. Now, there are um, 12 races where Democrats are pretty much the clear favorite. That gets them to 206. There are three races where Republicans are pretty much the clear favorite. That gets them to 214. Then we get into the leaner categories here of the races that are left. I have eight in the Democratic category. So that gets you to 214. Uh, I have four in the uh, in the Republican uh, category. That gets you to 218, which is exactly the number that you need. And then there are three toss-ups right in the middle, really 50-50 shots. You might say, well, that's 218. That's all you need. Well, that gives you exactly no margin for error. <laughs> Zero. Zilch. No margin for error. You lose one of those seats, then you're going to have to start picking up seats from other categories like the toss ups and like the lean Democrats. This is not the position you want to be in in a midterm election when the president has a 42 percent approval rating. I assure you that is not good news. The Senate is a bit more mixed, honestly. These are close, close races. And yes, the Republicans may very well lose it, but they had they were they had an uphill battle in the Senate anyway. The House should have been easy. And that is really where we're seeing the failure. And I think you're starting to see pressure on Kevin McCarthy because people are saying, wait a minute, how does how is this happening? Even if we get control, why are we going to give it to this guy who has been in charge as we're having this kind of large disappointment here? Look, control is control. That's the the number one hurdle you need to get over. If Republicans can get the House, they can get the committee chairs, they can get uh, the investigations done, uh, they can block the next multi-trillion dollar spending plan. That's all really, really good. If you lose the House and the Senate, this goes from ah, kind of a disappointment to a catastrophe. We are back in the position we've been in the last two years. And if you've seen our spending numbers, if you've seen inflation, if you've seen the border, if you've seen crime, if you've seen what happened in Afghanistan, all these things, you know the last two years have been a disaster. Maybe not as big a disaster as what's going on with FTX, though. We'll get to that here in a second. Inflation continues to be a plague on our economy, our families, our savings, and the responsible uh, people in Washington don't seem to care at all. Yeah, that's right. They're very irresponsible when it comes to spending. And of course, we've seen almost every kind of uh, negative economic record from empty grocery store shelves to 40-year high inflation. Don't let your savings wither away. Hedge against inflation with gold from Birch Gold. If you text STU to 989898, you'll get a free info kit. Diversifying into gold. How can you do it? Why should you do it? Is it right for you? 
Look at the information. Do your own homework and understand if it's right for your family. And when you do it this month, by Black Friday, you will get a free gold bar with every purchase that you make by December 22nd. With almost 20 years' experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you. Don't allow the left to devalue your savings. They're going to try, I promise you. Text STU to 989898 and claim your free info kit from Birch Gold. You can own physical gold in a, and silver as well in a tax-sheltered account. Uh, why not? You do it with Birch Gold. They'll help you do it. They're the experts. Once again, text Stu to 989898. Claim your free info kit on gold and ensure your eligibility for a free gold bar with every purchase. Secure your future with gold from Birch Gold. One of the craziest stories you're going to see in a long time is what's going on at FTX. FTX is the third largest crypto exchange on Earth, and they are a pretty big deal. Uh, a lot of people use them. They were the people who did the Larry David Super Bowl commercial. Apparently, they're better at making commercials because that was a pretty good commercial. Better at making commercials than, you know, doing the whole crypto thing. It's a complicated story, and uh, I actually have, um, last week I spoke to Marty Bent, uh, who's a guy very well known in the crypto world, a great newsletter and podcast. Uh, I, I wish we had spoken to him today because uh, it would be great to go through all of this with him. I spoke to him about a bunch of other stuff, energy and Bitcoin generally. It's, it's a great interview. We're going to play it back here for you in just a second. But I want to go through some of this FTX stuff because I'm fascinated by it. And I think even if you don't care about crypto, you're going to like the story. Because of the guy at the top of the heap here. His name's Sam Bankman Freed. He's a well known, he's a billionaire. He was worth about a week ago about $15 billion. And he is uh, a couple things that are interesting about him. First of all, he was promoted by the media as this wonderkind super brain, right? Like very similar to Elizabeth Holmes, right? Elizabeth Holmes comes out. She, I've got blood tests with one drop of blood. Oh, let's fawn over her. A female CEO. Let's say how great she is. They build her up into the biggest thing in the world. People invest tons of money, a lot of times based on all of these glowing media profiles. And then the whole thing's a, a sham. She's uh, on trial. The whole thing dissolves. Everybody loses all their money. This has happened a bunch of times. And there's never like a mea culpa from the media. They never say, ah, sorry about that. We didn't realize that person was totally a fraud. Same thing going on here with Sam Bankman-Fried, allegedly. Uh, basically, he was promoted the same way. Wonderkind, oh, you're not going to believe this guy. He's so smart. He's got the biggest brains in the world. He shows up to meetings with his hair all messy. It's curly and it's messy and he's wearing shorts. Oh, what a character. And they build him up in this huge, huge thing. He becomes a multi, multi-billionaire. He's got Larry David in there for commercials. And then what? Well, now we're seeing that apparently... Uh, there was all sorts of financial games going on behind the scenes, and this is a big deal, a massive failure in this world. Now, anyone who really loves uh, Bitcoin and various cryptocurrencies will tell you, you know, the whole point of this is decentralization. You're not supposed to be relying on a single point of failure like a, 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 a centralized exchange. Everyone tells you, if you get into this stuff, get your stuff, uh, get your coins off of exchanges. It's never a good idea to leave it there. Well, of course, a lot of people, they're used to using banks like that. And even though that's kind of what crypto was designed uh, to stop, it's still people that just do what they do. They're used to doing it a certain way. So a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. There, there is all sorts of reporting going on right now. 
some places say uh, that FTX now owes $8 billion to their customers and other liabilities. A related investment firm uh, owes another uh, 10 to $50 billion, according to the bankruptcy filing. We have dozens of other companies that are under the umbrella of FTX that are going to go uh, up, uh, you know, belly up. And now, you know, all these big time venture capitalists who came in to fund the beginning of FTX uh, are now just writing off their losses to zero. So you have this story and, you know, the media, the media rise, uh, the media fall. And, you know, what's really annoying about this is the same reporters who were interviewing Sam Bankman-Fried on the rise and giving him all this credit and saying he was so smart and telling their audiences how smart he was are the same people that are going to get the great podcast at the end where they get to report on how it was all a scam the entire time, even though they're half responsible for it and we will never get an apology. That's frustrating. The second part of this that's really interesting, I think, to, uh, to all of us maybe who really follow politics more closely is this guy was a big-time Democratic donor. He's like the Democratic donor. And you'd say, well, wait a minute, George Soros is that guy. He's the big Democratic donor. And I would say that's true. This guy, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, was only the second biggest, seriously, the second biggest Democratic funder in the entire election cycle, second only to George Soros, or over $40 million of his own money, or if you're an FTX investor, probably your money, went to Democratic causes all over the country. And he bragged about it. This is he was writing, uh, helping to uh, f- shape legislation that was going to regulate crypto. This is bonkers, and the story is not going away. We're talking about the second biggest Democratic uh, donor who may very well either be going to some country that does not have an extradition treaty or going to prison. This is a serious, serious story. Let's see if the media bothers to cover how important he was to the left and their only moderate loss here in the past election. We're going to talk to uh, Marty Bent here in a minute. We'll give you maybe more of a baseline on, on Bitcoin and also get into get into energy. This is a huge thing. We all know what gas prices look like. We know what energy looks like. We know what the, 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 the left says about global warming and all the rest, the COP27 things going on as well right now. We're going to talk to Marty about energy and Bitcoin. We'll do that next. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do. Let's say you have multiple mansions and owned a cryptocurrency exchange and went belly up, and now you have to sell all of them. Won't that be sad? You know, this guy lost 94% of his wealth in one day. He was 50, now he's, he was $15 billion, now under $1 billion. That's a rough week. You think you had a rough week? He really had a rough week. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment. And when you want to unload your home, when you want to get into a new home, you better have an agent that can help you through it the right way. That's why we always talk about realestateagentsitrust.com. Whether you're buying or selling a home, no matter where you are in the country, go to realestateagentsitrust.com and they will find the best agent for you. Just provide them with some basic info. The team will contact you to make an introduction to the best agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Real estate agents I trust.com. Really excited to welcome in Marty Bent to the program. He's the founder of TFTC.io and the host of the Tales from the Crypt podcast, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. Marty, thanks for coming on. Stuart, thanks for having me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to talk to you. I've, I've followed your newsletter for a long time. It's a must subscribe, by the way, if you're interested in, I don't know, the world. That's that's the only qualification. Um, can we start? Uh, let, let's start with energy, because okay. I think this is something that people they see as like this 
issue, we talk about it a lot, is like, well, green energy is too expensive. And it's, uh, you know, we should, be, we, use, we should embrace fossil fuels. We should embrace American resources. And I think that's all really important. But I don't think we realize how much of the global picture and the global geopolitics that we all look at every day and, and sometimes fear uh, is driven by energy and what we're trying to do now. Can you kind of talk about the state of the world when it comes to energy? It's pretty dire, particularly in the West. Uh, actually, China's doing pretty well from an energy policy perspective. They have a lot of reliable baseload in coal and nuclear. But for some reason or another, in the West, energy policy has been pretty idiotic for the last three decades. <laughs> yeah. Attempting to force this transition to a new green economy, uh, which has come with the moonlighting or the the shutting down of reliable energy sources like nuclear coal natural gas in favor of unreliable sources like wind and solar and this is driven by what i would deem to be an environmentalist climate hysteric movement that is pretty anti-human at the end of the day because they fail to recognize that we only have the modern society that we have today because we've figured out and developed ways to harness denser and denser forms of energy. And I think what is really bad about energy policy in the West right now is this gung-ho movement to revert us to less dense energy sources, which are wind and solar, when we should really be uh, supporting the oil and gas industry and trying to transition to to a nuclear-driven um, electricity uh, market if we, if we really want to have reliable, quote-unquote, clean energy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I really like the perspective. Uh, we've had Alex Epstein on the show um, a couple times and, and, and Robert Bryce, who talk about energy as, as a really f- a fundamental building block of civilization. It's not just this, like, thing where, like, well, we should have, uh, you know, we don't like the smoke, and therefore we should have wind t- turbines. This is something that it, we lose this. We are facing a, 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 an issue where we're turning back the clock possibly centuries. We, we, we cannot go down this road where we sort of lose respect for how fundamental that part of our economy and, and life is. That's literally the base layer of our modern society. Like the base layer of life in and of itself. You have to eat to go yeah. out and, and work in the world. That is a form of energy. And again, for some reason or another... Uh, modern society, particularly in the West, wants to just ignore that fact and, and pretend like we can go on living our lives with, with less energy, which is just insane. It's asinine. And in terms of the geopolitical realm, I mean, I think what we're seeing uh, between Russia and Ukraine right mm-hmm. now, regardless of w- what you think about the invasion, I, I think it's important to recognize that there's a very strong argument to be made that Putin wouldn't have invaded Ukraine if Western Europe uh, didn't put itself in such a precarious situation from an energy uh, standpoint right. because they're wholly dependent on, on Russia's gas. And he so, thought he had power over, over them and they couldn't do anything about it. Exactly. And so from a ge- geopolitical perspective, it's very important, I believe, for countries to be as energy independent as possible, because uh, if you are dependent on, if you're Germany, you're dependent on Russia, you're going to let them bully you around a little bit, or 
coax you uh, or not coax you into the war because you're dependent on their their natural gas and it's it, another thing with energy poly in the west is completely hypocritical as well because mm. we that's very scary facts out there actually interviewed uh, a man by the name of John Constable, uh, who runs the Renewable Energy Foundation uh, in the UK, and he really highlighted these glaring, astonishing facts is that in the West, particularly Europe, the UK, and the United States, across those three regions, our energy consumption and electricity consumption has dropped by anywhere from 10 to 30 percent over well, the last media would say years. that's a great thing right like <laughs> we're, we're lowering our energy consumption what could be wrong with that well uh it's great for other places like china which have <laughs> increased their mm. consumption and so yes over that period we've reduced our energy consumption our electricity usage and many people say hey we're getting more efficient like we have live streaming videos we have crazy internet infrastructure we have electric vehicles but really why why this policy is hypocritical is because all of the reduction in energy usage and electricity usage here is being subsidized by an insane amount of increases in uh, electricity production and energy production in places like China, where they're not really developing uh, their energy infrastructure as efficiently and quote-unquote cleanly as we can here in right. the West. Yeah, I and mean, we're begging for a gun to be put to our head, basically. And this is going to happen, as you mentioned, with Russia and Ukraine. It's going to happen with China and us eventually as well. I did a show a couple of weeks ago, and I was ranting and raving about it, and no one, no one, I don't think, in the media cared. But it's like China made an announcement that they were going to burn 500 uh, billion more tons of coal than they than they had uh, than they had uh, previously announced or, from, or 500 million excuse me from 4.3 billion to five 4.8 billion and it was like just this increase was enough to wipe out not only the inf- uh, the inflation reduction act but it was something like the equivalent of 82 percent of all vehicles in america and we have the media and, and our, our officials kind of coming to us all the time and saying, oh, please, please turn your, your thermostats down and please, please convert to a hybrid or an electric car. And all these little steps that couldn't possibly do anything compared to one announcement that no one noticed from a dictator we have no control over. In fact, he seems to have control over us. Yeah, it really does, because, again, all that increased energy production over there provides us the availability to low-cost goods like the cameras and the microphones that we're using today. A lot of them probably come from China where they're able to sell them cheaply because they have cheap, abundant energy and Mm. uh, infrastructure. And it is a matter of national security, energy infrastructure is. And you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. It's extremely scary that the Biden administration is pushing us down this path where we're going to openly uh, dismiss reliable energy sources like natural gas and nuclear and coal even in favor of wind and solar, which are completely unreliable and they do not really do anything to create stable grids. And in fact, they create instability on the grids. And then when you mention the push to transition to an electric vehicle fleet in the future. It's just, it's honestly, logically insane to believe that we could transition to a green economy run on wind and solar and have uh, cars that, that run on electricity that's dependent on unreliable sources. Like you're, the wind doesn't shine, 
excuse me, if the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't pierce the clouds, so you don't have electricity production. And again, going back to the fact that we can actually develop these reliable sources, natural gas, coal, and nuclear, cleaner and more efficiently than anybody else in the world, it, it makes no sense that we're not investing in this. And the scary thing is, particularly with the Inflation Reduction Act, is we're disincentivizing not only the Inflation Reduction Act, but just the posturing, the overt confrontational posturing from the Biden administration against oil and gas specifically, is what you're doing is you're disincentivizing a generation of young people to go and learn about things that are critical to our modern-day economy, particularly petroleum engineering mm. uh, and chemical engineering. Where Who are the experts going to be? Exactly. You have Biden saying, hey, we're going to and fossil fuel usage by 2035. Why would anybody in their right mind at 15, 16, 17 years old going to college or going to learn to develop a career, why would they go into petroleum engineering? Oh, I'm not going to have a job there yeah. to return on this. Why would a university even offer the courses? Exactly. Yeah, it's a scary, it's a scary thing because it's so short-sighted. Like, you know, maybe at some point in the, in the future, as we develop these things, we'll come up with even better solutions and we won't have to worry about these issues anymore. Maybe that's possible in the future. But to, to, to try to transition to these unstable sources of energy before we have it locked down is, you know, it's either suicidal or there's something else at play. There, there's, there's something else significant at play. Which one is it? Uh, I tend to believe it's nefarious in nature, mm. I think. Because, uh, again, energy is the base of our modern-day economy. It's the basis of life. Uh, it's one of the necessities on the bottom substrates of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And mm -hmm. uh, I do believe that there is an intention by the federal government here in the United States and uh, other parts of the world to control the populace. And a good way to control people is to... <laughs> Uh, and get them very desperate because they don't have re reliable electricity. And then they'll, they'll do anything once you get them in a desperate state. Hey, here's some money. Here's a CBDC to go buy mm. your, your, bug, your bug patty at the corner <laughs> store. Yeah. I mean, this is how you set that up. And the important thing to note, with particularly around energy policy and the climate debate, is based on the facts, none of this makes sense. Right. Like climate really, like if you really believe in cataclysmic climate change just look at the stats climate related deaths have fallen by 98 percent over the last 30 years hurricanes severe hurricanes have gone down uh, the amount of economic damage caused by storms has gone down uh, humans are extremely adaptable extremely good at uh, figuring out how to protect ourselves against nature and against our environment We're, we've only gotten better and better at that over time and it, it doesn't make any sense to believe that we can't figure out a way to be as efficient and economical as possible with fossil fuels, which even that term alone, fossil fuels, it's, it doesn't even make sense. Like these fuels don't come from fossils. There's like an ab abiotic mm. uh, uh, process that happens underground. It's not, it's not dinosaur bones that are, that are sustaining us with these fuels. There's, there's, and it goes back to language too. Green movement, sustainable, renewable. These words don't make any sense. There's nothing green about a solar panel, solar panel or a wind turbine. It takes an extreme amount of hydrocarbons on the front end to bring those to market. And then on the back end, when you recycle them, they, you can't recycle them. They have very toxic waste. There's nothing green about it. There's nothing sustainable 
about it. There's nothing renewable about it. The term renewable makes you think of this perpetual motion machine. Right. It's right. just not true. That, that's definitely what they're trying to make you think of. Like, mm-hmm. they want you to think, oh, we just start this up, this process starts, and then everything's going to be fine. That's not, not true at all. Especially considering the solar panels have a, a lifespan that is relatively short, particularly at this point. Um, do you have a couple more minutes to hang out? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay, but let me take a quick break. We'll come back with more in just a second with Marty Ben. We're back with uh, Marty Bent. Marty, uh, we were talking about energy last break, and there's this thing that people say, Elon Musk among them, uh, although it's a really big thing. The government seems to be very concerned about this. They just want to make sure people do not use Bitcoin, because if people use Bitcoin, it's gonna, it, it, it uses too much energy, first of all. This, uh, the, this whole proof of work thing, and we can't have that anymore. And they, they compare it to countries. They compare it to cities. They do everything they can to, to dissuade people from from we're going down this road from companies. You'll get bad ESG scores if you, if you embrace Bitcoin. First of all, is there any fact, any truth to this? Is, is Bitcoin a dirty thing that we should avoid? How should people think of this? I don't think Bitcoin's dirty at all. There's many ways to think of it. But it does use a lot of energy. And it will only use more energy. Mm. But this is a good thing. Mm. What most people miss with the Bitcoin energy it's not even a debate. What they miss with Bitcoin's energy usage is they don't really understand what's happening at the ground level. And so to take a high-level view, Bitcoin miners are profit-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the main drivers of their profitability is their all-in cost of electricity, uh, the energy. And what you'll find is that to drive that all-in cost of electricity down as low as possible so that miners can mine Bitcoin as profitably as possible, they will go find stranded energy resources or wasted energy resources. So yes, Bitcoin is using a significant amount of energy and that amount of energy will continue to rise moving forward. But once you figure out what's happening on the ground, you'll realize that by consuming this energy, Bitcoin is making our energy sector extremely energy efficient. So a couple examples of this, uh, we'll use on-grid and off-grid example. An on-grid example is grids, the way they're built, they're built to supply peak demand. They build out their capacity to serve electricity uh, for peak demand, which happens in the middle of the summer when it's warmest, when it's hottest, in the middle of the winter when it's coldest. And so all year they'll they'll be producing enough electricity to serve for those two very short periods of time in the middle of summer and the middle of winter. And any time outside that period, they're still producing that amount of electricity, but not all of it's getting used. So mm-hmm. one use case for Bitcoin mining that you'll find is that Bitcoin miners will basically arbitrage that that lack of usage of electricity between peak demand periods and, and come to a utility provider and say, hey, we'll buy that electricity from you when the grid isn't. And so they provide utility companies with another revenue stream that is making them more secure, which hopefully will allow them to reinvest and build out a more secure grid system for their residents. That's one use case. Off-grid, something that I've been involved in in my Bitcoin mining career, is stranded natural gas. Mm. Two forms of it, flare gas upstream uh, at an oil and gas production. You drill a uh, a hole in the earth to get oil. You get the oil, you get that out. And it comes with associated natural gas that you can't always get out. So you'll find that people are literally just setting it on fire because they would like to combust the methane and turn it into CO2. 
send it in the atmosphere. Uh, that's just literally setting potential money on fire. Right. So Bitcoin miners recognizing, hey, that's waste. We will show up. We'll bring generators. We'll plug those generators into your natural gas pipeline, reduce your flare so you're not leaking methane into the atmosphere. We'll create electricity with the generators and use that to mine Bitcoin. And since Bitcoin is a distributed system uh, that miners can operate anywhere, this is literally the only use case to, or one of very few use cases, but probably the most profitable to use that gas that would otherwise be flared to mine Bitcoin. So it makes us extremely energy efficient. Uh, and that's just the first order effect. The second order effect is what do Bitcoin miners do? They facilitate transactions on the Bitcoin network, adding blocks of transactions to the ledger. And by doing that, they're ushering in a sound monetary standard for the digital age. Mm. And so the second order effect of that energy usage is a sound monetary system, which leads to less misallocation of capital throughout the economy because the opportunity cost of misallocating capital on a sound monetary standard is very high. So you're forced to think through the economic decisions you make as a rational economic actor, which means you don't have, since you don't have the ability to print Bitcoin and throw it at <laughs> EVs or healthcare yeah. or food, you have to really think what is the best way to spend this Bitcoin. And that leads to less energy usage or more efficient energy usage that is going to produce positive outcomes for everybody. There's a first and second order effect. Yeah, it really, it really is a, a fascinating thing that has developed over time. I mean, we're seeing even volcanoes being tapped for Bitcoin mining. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a, way, a lot of the way conservatives tend to get onboarded to Bitcoin is they see it's only going to be 21 million of these things. And there's a lot more than $21 million out there. In fact, they seem to be printing more than $21 million a second at this point <laughs> to throw at various projects that make no sense. And so the, the idea that inflation is real and you can't just money print forever is a way to kind of talk to conservatives I've found about Bitcoin because they inherently they see this. They see that the value in a currency that has a stable supply but it really is more than that, right? It's it, it's 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 bigger than that. And I think like fighting back against inflation is something that you know, of course, the government the government likes to print money. They they don't necessarily like things that fight against inflation per se. They like the way they the things are. But it's more than that. It's about control. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the the real argument for Bitcoin? Yes, it's sovereignty over your money, control over your money, the separation of money and state. And so mm. the way in which you can secure Bitcoin allows you to truly control your money. You don't have your checking account in Bank of America that the government can seize or stop or prevent you uh, from receiving or sending money from. With Bitcoin, if you control it properly by controlling your own private public key pairs and you secure that private key, you can access your money and only you can access your money and nobody can stop you from accessing that money most importantly. So in terms of being able to actually control your money, Bitcoin is a step function improvement um, on monetary goods uh, that have existed throughout humanity. Uh, the most, uh, the, the thing that people like to compare it to most is gold, because mm -hmm. obviously you can hold a gold coin, a bullion bar. However, Bitcoin is significantly uh, better, I would argue, since you can protect it with cryptography, you can send it over the internet. Uh, it's not heavy. It's not heavy. <laughs> That's a big part. And you can, you can even store it in your brain if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, so this is, in terms of actually taking control 
and this is the way I like to frame Bitcoin, it's an opt-out of the incumbent monetary and political system. If you're unhappy with it, a lot of the power comes from their ability to print money. And so you can opt into Bitcoin where they can't print money and then they can't, it's extremely hard for them to seize it for you. So it is about freedom in the digital age and freedom and sovereignty and control over your money. Where is Bitcoin going from here as far as when it comes to adoption? I, mean, I, I, I talk to people a lot. They, they're all excited when, when it's going up. And then they see story after story. We went from sixty-nine thousand to twenty thousand, and people are—they freak out about that. They don't. No one wants that. And I, you know, I, I look back and I, I, the, the history here. I mean, I, you know, I started investing in Bitcoin back in two thousand fourteen. So it's, I see it as oh, I've seen these bubbles come. I've seen these bubbles go. It's, it's I don't even think about it. I don't worry about it. You know, we're at the peak of the 2017 bubble when it's collapsed, right? Like this long term has been absolutely incredible for anyone who's been involved in it and decided to stay in it for a few years even. Um, that's not the most important part about Bitcoin, but how do, you, how do you talk to people about people who are just freaking terrified of getting involved in it? It's uh, acknowledging the volatility, but also trying to take a step back and say, hey, what is happening right now? Bitcoin, again, is a new monetary good. It's not going to monetize overnight. Um, humanity is getting familiar uh, with the technology, with Bitcoin specifically, and to think that one day you're going to wake up and it's going to be completely monetized. It's going to have a multi-trillion dollar market cap and it's going to be uh, very stable is is not going to happen. Like you have an adoption uh, cycle that's going to take place over yeah. over many decades, and so the volatility, the way I explain it, it, should be expected because we're learning more about it. But what you anchor yourself to is again the fundamentals. It's peer to peer. It is separate of governments and corporations. Cannot be controlled, uh, and the utility is only getting better. And I would say right now, uh, Bitcoin is like the internet in like ninety. 798 where a few years ago it was like the internet 93 where the utility uh, of the network is getting uh, much easier to access because developers are becoming enamored with the the open source software side of things and mm -hmm. they're beginning to build more tools that make it easier to access and use bitcoin for example with my podcast i put a bitcoin address in my rss feed and when it goes out to the world there's certain podcast apps that developers have decided to build that only have podcast episodes in them, they have Bitcoin wallets in them. Anybody listening to my podcast, if they like a certain episode, they can send Bitcoin directly to the address of my RSS feed, which I control. And they can send fractions of a Bitcoin, fractions of a penny's worth of Bitcoin. Mm. People, some people will stream me one sat per minute they listen to my podcast, which is oh, like really one cool. one-hundredth of a penny. And that is inherent fundamental utility that networks like Visa, MasterCard, Fedwire, Swift simply cannot do. They're, they're not technically able to do that. So expect the volatility and anchor to the fundamental utility and value that the network provides that no other monetary or payments network can provide on the earth. Mm, yeah. I, I, I think people, because it's something we've heard about for a few years now, people take for granted how advanced and new it is. You know, I mean, I, I, I you know, 
I think people, a lot of people will start with something like Coinbase because it's, it's very, they did a good job at making it very easy to access. I, for one, am completely terrified of controlling my keys because I find myself to be much less reliable than almost anyone else uh, on earth. Uh, so, you know, you, you, that, that process, as it becomes easier for people to, to, to be able, they're not going to just, oh, I left it in the car and then it, my car, I, I took my car out of the car wash and now uh, I, I've lost, you know, <laughs> my, my, uh, my keys. People are, are one, they, when they get past that, they get past uh, the idea that you know, it's going to go up and down. There's this, I think, something that's more foundational. There's something that's settling that gets us past all of this constant chaos. You know, I think people feel that around the globe. They see other governments breaking down, wars starting. I mean, look at the good that Bitcoin has done in the situation we talked about last break in, in Ukraine and Russia. How many people, how many of those refugees that left those, that country were able to take all of their belongings? It's not like the old wars where they would just be taken from them, right? They were able to cross those borders. They didn't have, they didn't get, uh, no one knew. They just had their money. They were able to carry it with them for the first time probably ever. I mean, these are really, really big advancements that I don't think are in perspective yet. No, in the context of the Russia-Ukraine war, there was very uh, public instances of uh, some politicians or rich people trying to cross the Polish border with suitcases full of cash, and they got caught and confiscated. Imagine just putting 12 words in a notebook or memorizing 12 words, walking across the border, downloading some software, plugging those in, and getting access to your money. That's, That's the beauty of Bitcoin. And if you're out there and you're scared, about controlling your own keys, I would just say practice makes perfect. Download Blue Wallet, download Samurai Wallet, uh, check out Unchained Capital. These are tools and companies that are here to get you comfortable with uh, holding your own private keys and controlling your Bitcoin. And you don't have to put all of your Bitcoin into these wallets at once. You can test it out with $5, with a dollar, get comfortable with creating an address, sending to an address, and backing up your keys. You don't have to do it all at once. Uh, You have to teach yourself how to do it, I think you'll find it's, it's much easier than you expect. It seems daunting at first, but you literally just go download these apps and they walk you right through the process. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And it, they, it's getting much better. I mean, I, I think, you know, you look back at the early days and it was really hard. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that made it inaccessible, I think, to the average person. But that really has changed uh, over time. It's only going to change quicker and more drastically from here. Yeah, and I think, too, that there's such a basis now of people who do care about this and are invested in it, um, not just financially, but also with their time. And, you know, people have been working on this for a decade now and they're not going to just walk away from it. So there's, I think, a really bright future here. Uh, not, and it's, we didn't even get a time to, ch- to talk about it. We're out of time. But like the censorship thing that constantly we complain about on the right, hey, everyone's pulling us down for online and all these things. There's so many paths around it through Bitcoin and, you know, and these related things. It's, it's really exciting. I think it's an exciting future. Yeah, I do as well. And uh, I mean, it is censorship resistant money. Separate money and state. We separate church yeah. and state. We separate money and state next. I think humanity will, I think we'll talk a lot less about politics in the future if we're able to do that successfully. Mm, I love it. Uh, Marty Ben, founder of the TFT, of TFTC.io, host of the Tales from the Crypt podcast. Uh, you got to make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also uh, the newsletter as well. Do not miss it. Marty, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to us about all of this. Stu, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Well, we announced it just the other day for the first time. We want you to come here. 
Why? Because I have a lot of work around here to do it, and I don't want to do it. So I prefer if you came and kind of did it for me. No, actually, we're going to be doing another Power Hour. It's uh, the Christmas Party Power Hour, Studios America 2022 Christmas Party Power Hour. You can join us here in studio for it. If you want to do the shots with us, you can. Or you can just sit there and laugh at us and think, wow, those people are a bunch of idiots. It is going to happen in December. We don't have the exact date yet. We don't have the panel together yet. We're getting you involved early, though. Go to StuDoesPowerHour.com, StuDoesPowerHour.com. There you can submit your info and become a guest to come to the studios. Check out where we film every day as well as um, watch us be idiots on Power Hour. If you've never seen one of these things, it's a lot of fun. You can watch the other ones on YouTube, although I don't recommend it. They, 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 some of them were tragic. Anyway, uh, Stu does America, excuse me, StuDoesPowerHour.com uh, for the Power Hour. Uh, get involved there. And don't forget to join us at Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash Stu. Promo code is midterm. Save 30 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV.